You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Uh, you can turn to the book of John. And this is one of my favorite passages in the book of John. It's chapter 14. And uh, we have Bibles on the table and um, cool stuff like that if you want to look at it for yourself. We'll also put it up here. Uh, it's John chapter 14. Uh, Jesus is talking about truth. Everybody say truth. It says this. So John chapter 14, starting in verse 5. And uh, let's see, John 14, verse 5. Um, so it's Thomas, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, says to him, says to Jesus, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how we, can we know the way? So Jesus had just been talking about the way, the spiritual way. And Thomas, one of the disciples, this picture is just him asking, uh, how do we know the way? Uh, wh- which way do we go? How, how do we know um, where you're going? So how, how do we know the way? And Jesus responds with something that is a very, a very famous, a very important verse in the Bible. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas says, which way? Can you show us the way? And Jesus says, you know, my understanding of this verse is is that he's not just going to point and say, yeah, go over there. That's the way. Or you need to do this or that. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And so as we look at that today, we're going to talk about truth and who Jesus is. And so let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Jesus, we do come to you and we say that you are, you are God. You are truth. We love you. We, we want to know your ways. We want to be a part of the life and the truth and the way that you are. So we worship you. We love you, Jesus. And everyone screamed, Amen. Amen. I was in Kathmandu, Nepal, and this guy said, Would you like to learn the secrets, the mysteries of all religions? I was in Kathmandu, uh, it's the capital city of Nepal, with two other dudes. It was kind of a very informal mission trip. It was just kind of the three of us visiting other Christians and visiting churches, kind of doing our own thing. We had a ton of free time, and we were chilling in Kathmandu for about a month, waiting for this guy's wedding. It was like supposed to be like this day, but then like a brother couldn't make it. So they're like, oh, let's just do it next week. And then the next week came, and like mom had to work or something, so they're like, let's do it the next day. It was very informal. It's kind of weird, but anyways. Uh, so we were waiting for this wedding to happen. We had tons of free time. We're walking around the city of Kathmandu, buying trinkets and talking to people and drinking coffee and uh, having a good time. And uh, we kept meeting the same guy who owned a t-shirt shop, and he'd invite us in and, and wanted to talk to us. He said, I love talking to you because you're an Americans, and I, I love learning English, and I also, you know, want your ideas for t-shirts. What kind of t-shirt ideas would sell? <laughs> and we're like, oh, well, I, I don't know anything about t-shirts, but he thought we did. And so we'd tell him, and uh, one day he we were walking around. He invited us upstairs. Would you like to come up for uh, tea? And so we went upstairs into his house, this nice little house uh, above the store. And he like looked at the other bedroom and yelled something. He's like, happy. Blah, 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 blah. And like this little six-year-old kid like comes flying by downstairs. And I swear he was gone less than 60 seconds. And he came up with like four little glasses of chai tea, perfectly sugared and hot. And it was just amazing. I have no idea what happened there or what was said. But this little kid came back with tea, and we started having a conversation, us and this, uh, uh, this guy. And he says, you know, we, we talked about politics and the news and media and T-shirts. And then he asked, um, do, do you want me to tell you the secret behind all religions? 
And we were kind of like, yeah, I guess. And he said, well, I'm a Hindu. Do you know what that means? And we kind of said, yes. You know, we know that Hinduism is, is a, a sort of pantheistic religion which believes that God is in all and there's gods everywhere and spirituality is everywhere. And, and so he said, he gave us an analogy that was um, good at representing what he thought, but it wasn't good as in it's, it's not true. But he said this analogy. He said, we are worship, I'm a Hindu, so I worship with uh, the Bhava Gita, and I put the, the, the bindi, that, the little red dot on my forehead, and I do this and that in my Hindu religion. And he pointed at us and said, you guys are Americans, so you're Christians, right? And we were kind of like, yeah, I guess. And so, well, Christians worship with the Bible, and they worship Jesus on a cross, and, and so you worship like that. And so he said, imagine a room where all the Hindus go to to worship and another room in a house where all the Christians go to worship, and it's a, bit, it's a really big house, uh, like the world. And so another room is where all the Muslims worship, and they have the Quran in there. Another room might be where the Buddhists worship. And he said, here's the secret, that if you remove the roof of the house, everyone looks up and sees the same God. And, we, and, and I said, well, that's a good analogy for what you believe, because it kind of represents your beliefs of relativism. But it doesn't, it's not what we believe. We believe that some things are true, and that the, the opposite of what is true is would then be false. And so we can't all be worshiping the same God because, you know, we worship a God that says his name was Jesus. Jesus was God, not just a shower of the way. He was the way. And we began talking to him, and we, I, we had this analogy that we just kind of made up on the spot. I had this ball that was probably from the kid that ran to got tea. We said, if I drop this ball, it will either fall to the ground based on the laws of gravity, or it will hover there as I let go. But it can't do both. It either will drop or it won't drop. It's either, you know, if it drops, you know, if I say it's going to drop and it drops, and that's true. But if it doesn't, then that would be false. It either does happen or it does ha- doesn't happen. And we got him to agree with like, okay, in life, things are either true or they're false. Ideas are either true or false. It's either... Um, hot or it's cold. It's either black or it's white. On earth, there's some things that are true and some things are false. But then for him, as soon as you got to talking about religion, he said, oh, it's whatever you want to believe is true for you. You can make your own truth. And we just had to like respectfully disagree with this guy. And the more we talked, kind of the more heated we got. And so we just ended up talking about t-shirts. Um, but I learned a lot that day that, that, that relative thinking is a part of many people's uh, thoughts, many people's religion, and it is so opposite of what Christianity is. Christianity says that uh, Jesus is God, that that is true, and then that the opposite of that, that he wasn't God, would be false. It can't be both true and false at the same time. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, before we dive into that, I have a lot of, there's some notes that you may have got handed when you came in. Before we dive into the notes and start really digging in, I have some announcements. If you're newish today, um, the Mill Sunday School, we have these cards uh, that you could fill out and then bring to the back table. We would love it if you did, because then we'd have your information, put you on an email list. We don't send out hardly any emails, but uh, we don't take advantage of it. But uh, we would have your information. we give you a free gift. It's a CD back there. And we just want to welcome you. We know that there's a lot of new people testing out the Mill Sunday School, because the time has changed to 10 o'clock now. Yes! Isn't that awesome? Did everyone enjoy like an extra 15, 20 minutes of sleep today? Wasn't that awesome? Anybody? Wasn't that awesome? It was just like the glorious thing. Thank you. Um, so that's, uh, th- those are back there. Uh, the Mill Fall Retreat. Um, is anybody going to the Mill Fall Retreat? Whoop, whoop. 
Thank you. It's really sweet. In fact, the Mill Sunday School, on those two weekends, October, those two weekends in October, there will be no Mill, there will be no Mill Sunday School. Half of us will be at one weekend, the other half of us will be at the other weekend, and uh, so th- there won't be Mill or Sunday School those weekends. So it's really like what we're doing those weekends. So pick one, go to it. Uh, that's Fall Retreat. Uh, the, I get to teach a course for King's College and Seminary. There, there's some flyers back there. I get to teach it on Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, which is last month's Sunday School topic. So if you want more, you could take it for credit. There's, you could call uh, this number, talk to this person about how to get uh, credit for the school, or you could audit the course for really, really cheap and just get to sit in and learn every Tuesday about Corinthians. I promise you that if you come to that class, you will be an expert in the books of First and Second Corinthians. <sighs> Those are your announcements. There's a lot today. Is everybody okay with that? Epistemology. That's a really big word. It's in your notes. If you're taking notes, I would like you to write down epistemology, epistemology, dash. This is the definition. The study of how we know what we know. The study of how we know what we know. That's a big word, huh? Epistemology. Big word. I don't just use big words for uh, big word's sake, but it's very specific. It's the study of how we know what we know. In, in other words, how can we know that we can know anything? How do we know what is correct, uh, that, that things are either true or false? Uh, it has to do with absolutes, with morals, with convictions. And it has to do with who can decide what is true. As Christians, we believe, we teach in church. You know, if you come from a Christian home, this is just part of your thinking. If you go to a small group, it's a part of the Christian thinking that there is truth and we need to conform ourselves to what is true. And so if something's true, like right or wrong, we conform ourselves to what is right, and we try and pray to God that we, could, that we don't do what is wrong and are sinful, that we believe that, that God is good, that he is all-powerful, and we conform our thinking and ourselves to that truth. We don't, for instance, uh, believe in relative truths. This idea, uh, it's also often called secular humanism. And secular humanism is kind of this banner that just says that, there, that truth can be relative. And so nowadays, even as Christians, uh, if we say, oh, this is true, we almost have to add the word absolute. Have you noticed that? We have to say, this is absolutely true. It's not just true for you, but this is absolutely true. It's always true. Because the word truth is becoming less and less of a word that means anything. Because it, it just our culture doesn't sees various things as all being true at the same time. For instance, secular humanism says that you can decide what is true. That there isn't truth out there and you have to conform yourself to it. But you can believe something and conform truth to what you want to believe. I remember, uh, you, I don't know that he would call himself a secular humanist, but I had a professor that definitely was a secular humanist. He was a literature uh, teacher in my undergrad school, and we read a novel. I forget what novel it was. And he, at, the, at the class, we, uh, the classes just consisted of reading novels and then uh, talking about it in class. That was the whole class. It was kind of a fun class. But he'd get to this idea of like, what is the book really about? What is the meaning behind this book? And he'd say, share, everyone share. What, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think the meaning is behind the book? And he said, whatever, whatever meaning you put into the book is what the book is for you. And to me, I just thought, 
well, what about the author, the designer of the book? Doesn't he get to say what the book is really about? Um, it, like, you may think it's a story about, you know, science, but it's actually a romance novel. And uh, why, what, why do you get to decide what is true? And for him, this professor, it was all about whatever you say, whatever you got out of the book is what's true for you. I had another teacher um, that was also very, very much so a, a secular humanist. And this was um, a class, uh, I think it was like an anthropology, like a cultural anthropology class. And she'd, she'd constantly like, throw out these examples just to mess with our heads. She said, I, I forget what tribe it was, but she said somewhere there's this tribe that doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, and this is gruesome, I apologize, but the tribe would uh, take the weakest babies, the weakest member of the tribe as children, and, and then kill them and then eat them, eat the children. And, and we are all just, she kind of said those things just for our reaction to be like, oh, that's so wrong. That's horrible. And she'd say, why is it wrong? It, it was right for that tribe because they live in a tribe where they could, every culture can make up their own rules was her point. And so for them, that was the right thing to do. But for us, it's a wrong thing to do. And, and I was just like, are you insane? Why, what? It was just, it was so like hard to hear because coming from a very Christian background, Christian mindset, Bible, that there is truth on this earth and that God designed what is true. And the opposite of what is true is False. And so it's not okay or true that some cultures can not eat babies and other cultures can eat babies and it could be right for us and eating babies can be also right for them. No, there's, there's right and wrong. There is morality in this world. And, and our culture says, no, our culture says whatever is true for you is actually true for you. And whatever I, I believe is true, it actually is true for me. Am I, am I talking in a language that makes sense? I mean, as far as that, that's what our culture says. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it's, it's, and it's very sad. Um, at the center of our epistemology as Christians, we would say that no contradictory things can be true. No two contradictory things can be true. Let's just say the fire alarm went off right now. And then it stopped. And then it started again. And then it stopped. And we're like, what's that? Is, the, is there a fire? Do we need to go check on it? And then I was like, would you two guys go see if there's a fire outside and we need to leave? What, you know, why is the fire alarm going off? And so two guys run outside uh, and they're like, they check and see if there's a fire. One guy comes back and says, there's a fire. There's billows of smoke. There's gasoline on the floor. And some dragon is breathing fire and catching the flag's on fire. We need to get out of here. And the, the other guy comes back in and says, what? No, there's no fire. There's a maintenance guy outside, and he just apologized that he accidentally set off the alarm. He said, there's no worry. And so these two guys are both saying, yeah, that's what's going on outside. And the other guy's like, yeah, dragon, hello, we need to get out. And the other guy's like, no, maintenance guy, we don't need to get out. And so who do we believe? A, a, a relativistic culture would, would say, uh, and this is obviously a silly example, but they would say something like, well, maybe for you, you actually saw a dragon outside, and that is true for you. You need to get out of the building because literally the building is burning for you. But the building isn't burning for, for you because you, the other guy, because you saw a maintenance guy um, setting off the alarm. But both guys are true. Both people, both reports are in fact true. They're contradictory, but we're okay with contradictions. Are you insane? What, one of you is insane. I imagine the dragon guy is, 
is either lying or telling a joke, or if he really believes he saw that, he's insane, but he's wrong. It's false. There's really just a maintenance guy out there that accidentally tripped the alarm, and there's no such thing as dragons. So we wouldn't say that both are true at the same time. We would say that one is true and one is false. And so this, this next word, presuppositions, is the word I want to talk about. It's another big word. Um, and it's a word that you could use in sentences. Guys, girls love big words. Let's say you're at a party and you're trying to, you know, what do you say to her? You could say, well, the designer of this party presupposed that we would be having fun, don't you think? And then you could throw another word, like epistemology in there. And then, and just say, like, we were destined to go to coffee, don't you think? And she would say yes. And then you would go to coffee and see what happened from there. I'm helping you, guys. That's all this is. Just a little help. And, and, te- and so, big Sunday school words. Today, the, the other word of the day is presuppositions. And to define presuppositions, uh, it's, it's quite simple. What we presuppose before having an idea a presupposition is what we presuppose uh, before having an, an idea. And so this is a part of doing epistemology, is we have to know what our presuppositions are. And I think it's easy, if we're in a conversation as Christians, as Sunday schoolers, if we're in a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with us, it's easy sometimes to like find something fun to disagree about and then kind of get worked up about this one little point. But it has really nothing to do with the bigger picture. For instance, uh, I have a lot of Mormon friends, and I, I know that I've engaged a lot of Mormons uh, in conversations. And sometimes our conversations will go into like, oh, we, so we get our own planet? You believe we get our own planet when we, when we die, if we're good? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, well what solar system is it in? You know, as new people died, is there more planets? And they're like, where, can we look in a telescope and see these things? And so we get into these little arguments about how the planets work when really the bigger conversation is, they believe, Mormons believe, that they will be a god, like the, the god that we worship. They will be god of their own little planet universe someday when they die. And that is priests, I mean, that is just foundationally so much different than what we as Christians believe. Uh, so it's, it's, it may be easy to get into these nitpicky arguments, but the presuppositions are what we should really be thinking about and, and, and presupposing. For instance, if you get in a conversation with an atheist, uh, and maybe they're really big into evolution, you're going back and forth about like bird beaks, and you're like, no, this bird beak couldn't have evolved from that bird beak because blah, 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 this bird beak is better. And you're just like, what? I mean, the presupposition, the bigger point is an evolutionist believes that there is no designer, that it's chance. And a Christian believes that there is a designer, that things are made in, in such a way because there is a designer. And so it's, it's the bigger thing. It's what you presuppose before actually having an idea. And there's three. If you're taking notes, you could write down these three, and we'll talk about each one of them. There's three, uh, at least in my thinking, uh, as far as like what you have to presuppose before. Um, uh, if you want to have, have the Christian faith, you should really have these three presuppositions before even considering a a belief, which is one, uh, that there is meaning. Number one, presupposition that that there's meaning in this world. I mean, it's quite simple that this world means something. It's not just, I don't know, it's not meaningless. There's meaning. Number two, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Number two is that truth is absolute. Absolute truth. Number two, absolute truth. That, uh, 
that if if two contradictory things two excuse me two contradictory things cannot both be true at the same time and and the and the four, the third one excuse me is that truth can be known we can we can know what is truth because here's the thing if if you're talking let's say I'm talking with uh, that hindu guy that I told you about that owned the t-shirt shop in Kathmandu and I show him in the Bible that Jesus came and died for our sins, he could, as a Hindu, this is very common amongst Hindu beliefs, he could just say, yeah, okay, I agree, I believe that that is true. And then walk away from that conversation and still be a Hindu and a Christian at the same time. And so, yeah, I worship, you know, this God and I do the, the, the Hindu Indian belief, but then I worship a, a Christian God too. It's like, no, it's either one or the other. There's two contradictory things and they're, they're not both true. It's one or the other. And so going through these, um, these presuppositions before uh, talking about the Christian faith is that uh, the one meaning, two, there is absolute truth. And three, we presuppose that truth can be known. And meaning, um, has anybody ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? It's a really cool name, Ravi. Um, but he is a Christian philosopher, and he has speaking engagements, and, and you can listen to some of his uh, teachings and things on, on the internet. He's amazing because he, he attacks epistemology. He attacks presuppositions. And so he'll go into secular universities. He has this story where he says, he went into a secular university, talked about truth. He's a Christian, kind of mentioned Christianity, but really just talked about truth. And then at the end of, the, end of his, his talking, there was a time for Q&A, and this kid popped up and he just kind of rudely said everything is meaningless and ravi said you don't believe that he said yes i do everything is meaningless and and ravi uh, this older christian philosopher said you really don't believe that and the kid said oh yes i do who are you to tell me that i can't believe or what i believe i do believe that that is true and so ravi said well please stay standing this will only take a second he said you assume that I assume that what you just said was meaningful. If what you just said was meaningful, then everything isn't meaningless. What you've said is nothing. You may sit down. <laughs> and so Ravi says that, at, that later on, after that Q&A, he, he's found the kid like facing a wall, like just mumbling, if everything that I said is meaningless, then what you said is meaningful. Then um, <laughs> Ravi said that at the, at the, at, later that day, they had a Christian service and this kid came to the Christian service and Ravi said that this kid was the first one at the altar to give his life to Christ because he, he realized that if there is meaning, then, then someone had to design that meaning. If there's meaning, then there's a, a meaning maker, someone who has designed meaning and, and that life isn't meaningless and you have to give your life over to what you believe is true because truth is important. What, you, what we believe um, has meaning. And so point number two, along with that point, point number two, absolute truth, says that, um, that, uh, if you, that two contradictory things cannot be both true. Relative truth says, oh, there's contradiction. It's okay. Let's just all you know, say that whatever you believe is true for you. Whatever I believe is true, in fact, for me. And as Christians, we would say, no, it's, it's either one or the other. Either the Bible's true or it's not true. Either God exists or he does not exist. Either God is good or God is evil. And so we presuppose that, that there is truth out there, that it is absolute, that no two contradictory things can be true. So that's what I mean by that point. And the third point is uh, we presuppose that truth 
can be known. And, and what I mean by that is uh, that epistemolo- epistemologically, I think I just made up a word. Anyways, uh, that we can know that we can know truth. That truth isn't just this mystery that is unknowable. And so, if if you hang out in like Manitou, I live in Manitou Springs. Everybody, anybody ever been to Manitou Springs? Seen like all the, why do they? There's like people randomly playing guitar, and then this just bugs me. Every time I see it, it just bugs me. But there's people hula hooping. Like, why are, have you seen that? They're just on the street hula hooping. Every time I see it, I just get so mad. Like, what are you doing? It's a waste of time. <laughs> but whatever, you know, teaches them. I shouldn't get mad. I shouldn't judge them. What am I? I don't know. Anyways, uh, so Manitou is just uh, people searching. And if you talk to people, they're like wearing weird hats and like Eastern monk dresses. And you say, what's up? And they say greetings. They don't say hello. They have to, you know, they always like mystical, weird stuff. Um, and, and so uh, just uh, maybe that's why I love living in Manitou because I'm kind of weird too. And anyways, uh, but it, it's, it's perfectly okay to, to, you know, to, to get into spiritual conversations with people that are, are spiritual and to and talk about, I'm, t- I'm finding truth. You know, we're on this journey. And then to throw out a quote, you know, not all who wander are lost. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's so good, man. We're all just kind of searching and, and walking and, and finding. But as soon as anyone says, I think I found it. I've been searching. I think I found something that is true. People are like, whoa. That's stupid. You can't say that you've found truth. We're all just searching. You can't find it. You just have to search for it. It's like, what's all this searching if you really don't believe you're going to find it? As soon as someone says, I think I've found truth, they, they point the finger and say, what an idiot. What a bigot. They're so dumb. They think they found truth. And so our culture really does say, at least a Manitou crazy culture, really does say that you can't find truth. It's just a matter of searching and being on the road and trying to find truth. But as Christians, we, we presuppose that truth, that there is meaning, that, that there is absolute truth, and that we can know it, that the mysteries can be revealed, and we can know what is true. And so, here's what I want you to think about. I've just been using this word over and over again. It's the word truth. And if, if there is no one set definition for the word truth, that everyone is like, oh yeah, that's the definition. In fact, I looked it up in the dictionary, on dictionary.com, and it had 11 different uh definitions for the word truth and some of them are just bad definitions because it's like the definition of true is something that's truthful you're like oh that helps a lot (laughs) so i'm going to read i'm just going to quickly read these 11 and then here's what i want you to do um i'm not tricking you i'm not uh you know going to have you come up with a definition just so i can make fun of it but i want you to just kind of think either by yourself or in in a little group if you're at a table and just think Okay, what is, what in my own words, in my own, you know, language that I would use in a normal everyday, what is the definition of truth? And so here's, here's, the, here's all the dictionary definitions. They're very short, by the way. Uh, and so you kind of either pick one or, as a Christian, you know, that has these presuppositions, what is our definition of truth? So here's number one, uh, the actual state of, a, of matter. So definition of truth, truth is the actual state of a matter. Number two, conformity with fact or reality number three a verified or uh, indisputable fact uh, or principle number four possible definitions for what truth can mean the state of this is the bad one uh, the state or character of being true it's like oh that's good (laughs) 
truth is whatever's true. That's good. Anyways, uh, five is the actuality or actual existence. That word actual. Uh, an obvious or accepted fact. Uh, number seven is honesty and tr- integrity. Number eight is an ideal or fundamental reality. Number nine is an agreement with an original or standard. Number 10 is uh, accuracy of a position or adjustment. And number 11 is, is fidelity or constancy is the definition of truth. And so what I want you to do is just to come up with, those are all very short, succinct definitions. Would you think to yourself and then maybe share what you thought about with some peeps around you and have a conversation kind of like, play the devil's advocate, like, well, is that really what you mean by true? Or what, what about this? Or, you know, what about that? And so, can you do that for the, like, the next 60-ish seconds? Ready, get set, go! Was at the end of my road Had nowhere to go Was at the end of my rope I had nothing to show Until the day that I turned to you Was at the end of I try to wrap up in like another 30-ish seconds. Then I think we'll we'll pass the mic and, and maybe read off some of your definitions. All right. Um, if you could, just read off uh, your definition. Maybe you thought of one as a table. Um, no one will make fun of you. Everyone will be really nice to you. Because this is Sunday school. We're like a family in here. So get, uh, get the attention of the two mic dudes. Um, get their attention. Get the mic. And then if you would, stand up so that people could see you and we can hear you. And just read off the definition that you, that you wrote. Yes, please. I got voted <laughs> to stand up. So, they, um, they pointed at you and said yes. you had to do it? <laughs> Brutal. Um, truth for me is absolute reality, whether you realize it or not. Absolute reality, whether you realize it or not. That's good. That's a really good definition. So if you're 
conversing with someone and they're like, well, what do you mean by truth? That really would spell it out. Absolute reality, whether you believe it or not, which goes against the, oh, whatever you believe is true for you. If I believe it, then it's true for me. It's like, no, it's absolute reality whether you believe it or not. Yes, Any other, anybody else? I've, you I've have got one? one. The Mike yeah. guy has one. I have one. Um, it's a concept or belief which exists independent of our acknowledgement of it. That's good. A concept? Say it again. Concept? A or? concept or belief or reality which exists independent of our acknowledgement of it. That's good. So something is true whether you believe it, which is fundamentally so very different than, than our culture, which just says... Oh, yeah, whatever you believe is actually true for you. You believe there's dragons and gasoline and billowing smoke outside? Well, that's true for you. Anyway, yes, sir, go ahead. All right, um, I was thinking about truth from our perspective. Um, and truth would be any information, knowledge, or data that we have acquired that when compared and verified against other pieces of knowledge, data, and information uh-huh. still hold up to be true. Okay, so yeah. in that way, it would be relative to whatever you know, but still on the other side of what truth is, the more you know about it, the more you'll realize that which is totally true cannot be disproved. And so even though you're relative, the truth is not. Yeah, so it lines up with an actual. It lines up with fact. It's good. I like that. It's good. It's good. Anybody else? With a great, there's so many great definitions, but show, so many shy people. Yes, thank you, Matthew. Maybe Matthew will wrap us up. Go ahead. Okay. Whenever me and my friends would have theological debates, it was always something that we know or can prove to be. Uh, always something that you know or can prove to be. Prove to be. Exist. Period. I prove like to that. Exist. Yeah. Something you know or can prove to be. I like that. That's good. There was this philosopher uh, in, the, in the Enlightenment. His name was Thomas Aquinas. And he came up with a definition of truth that's also very short. It's actually on the back of your skillet, on the back of your notes at the bottom, underneath the uh, advertisement for Fall Retreat. It says, Thomas Aquinas, uh, his definition for truth is this, that truth is the conformity of the intellect to the things. And obviously things is very broad. It could be an idea. It could be something. But it's the conformity of the intellect to the thing. What is truth? It's when your intellect conforms, which is huge for Christians because we would say, and Thomas Aquinas was a Christian, he said that when we conform our intellect, our mind, our thinking, our beliefs to the thing, then that is what truth is. So the, uh, the reverse of that can't be true. We cannot conform truth to our thinking. We cannot say, oh, well, I want it to be like this. I want there to be, uh, you know, I want, let's just say I want heaven to be like this fun place that's like uh, six flags every day and there's peanuts only and, uh, and balloons and red balloons only. Like that's what I want there to be. And so I'm going to believe that. And so that's true for me. It's like, no, what is truth is, is true. And you need to conform your thinking to what is true. It's not that you can conform. People do this all the time with, with God and say, oh, I, ca- I can't possibly believe in a God that fill in the blank. 
I can't possibly believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen. So I'm not going to believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen. I'm going to believe in a God that's, that's nice, but maybe he's not all-powerful. He can't stop things that are bad. It's like you're conforming God to what you think. Instead, we need to conform our own intellect to the actual, to the thing. And um, there's, there's an analogy for, for belief and truth that I've heard quite a few times in, in churches but I was kind of researching it and, and just really liked this analogy that in the 1800s, there was this dude that uh, was a tightrope walker. His name was Charles Blondin, and they called him the Great Blondin. I, don't, I couldn't find out if he actually had blonde hair or not. I thought that would be actually really cool if he did. I don't know if he did. I couldn't find out. Uh, in the 1800s, and he made an act, like a circus act, out of tightrope walking across the Niagara Falls from the U.S. side to the Canada side, this big tightrope um, that he performed. He walked across it, crossed it, would get big audiences. He was actually the very first person in history to do that in 1859, and he did it so many times. He did it 17 times. He would do it uh, with his eyes closed. He did it one time pushing a wheelbarrow. He would do it with people on his back. One time he did it with, like, he carried a stove out to the middle and then some eggs, and he made, like, an omelet and then ate the omelet and then continued walking across. That would be pretty sweet. So he, he would always... His thing was crossing. He was like a performer. That's what he did. And he would get audiences kind of engaged, and he would say, do you think I can carry someone on my back and walk across? And the audience would, of course, say, yeah, let's see it. Yes, do it. And then he would say, who wants to join? <laughs> who wants to be the person? Everybody's like, whoa, I got got to go home and wash the dog. <laughs> um, and it's, so his manager would always be the guy that would get on his back, and he would carry a guy on his back across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Pretty sweet. And one time in, let's see, i get the actual date for you. In 1860, September, the Prince of Wales was one of the many witnesses who observed the great Blondin carrying his assistant, uh, Roman Maltun, that's his name, on his back across, uh, across this tightrope. When the prince uh, was asked if he would like to be carried on Blondin's back for the return journey, he refused. Furthermore, the prince implored Blondin to never perform such a dangerous stunt again. And I think that analogy says that if you were in the crowd that day and, and the, the great blonde and this tightrope walker said, do you believe that I can carry someone on my back across this tightrope on the Niagara Falls? You just kind of join in with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. But do you really believe that? Do you believe it so much that you would conform your actions to say that, yes, I'll be the one to climb on this dude's back as he crosses the tightrope? Do you really believe it? Belief demands, belief requires conforming ourselves to the truth. It requires that. It requires this conformity to your belief. And so the, the, the passage that I began with today and read that where, where Thomas says, how do we know the way? Would you show us the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Is, is, is a powerful verse the, the word truth is used in the Gospel of John 50 times. Is that a lot? Yes, that's a whole bunch to me. The Gospel of John is only, uh, what is it, 21 chapters? And in those 21 chapters, the word truth is used 50 times. 
And Jesus is always seen as the one who is truth, who speaks the truth, not only speaks it, but is the one who is true. And that's why he says, I am the truth. I am the way. I'm the life. I am the truth is what Jesus says. I won't just show you the truth. I won't just point to it and say, go find it over there. But Jesus says, I am the truth. And that passage is so fascinating. And, and obviously, the, the use of, tr- the, of the word truth in the Gospel of John again and again just makes it so clear that, that truth, it, Jesus is himself truth. And we get to this passage at the very end of the book of John, and it's, it's in chapter 18, <clears throat> where Jesus and Pilate have this conversation. And in chapter 18, starting in verse 33, uh, there's this conversation going back and forth. Pilate is obviously the Roman official in charge uh, with the, the judge over Jesus, can say whether Jesus is to live or to die because he's being accused of heresy. He's being accused of trying to uh, be a king, which was, uh, you know, trying to overthrow the Roman government, etc., etc. Verse 33 of chapter 18, Pilate says, uh, Pilate, when, when Pilate went back inside the palace, he summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And so they're in a conversation. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? And, and then Pilate kind of just asked, am I a Jew? You know, who, you know, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people, your chief priests, who handed you over to me. Uh, what is it you have done? Uh, and, and Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate jumps on that. You are a king then, Pilate said. And Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. That's why Jesus came into this world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, and that's a funny, funny saying, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, listens to me because he is the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And of course, Pilate responds with, with something that maybe anyone today, you know, in our society what, you know, what, what, would say, which is just the, the statement, what is truth, Pilate asks. And here in this picture of John's gospel, he paints this picture that Jesus is the personification. Jesus is truth, is standing right in front of someone who says, what is truth? And it's, it's standing there in front, of, in front of him, requiring that he conform himself to what is true. And, and the scripture just says, Pilate, Pilate asked, what is truth? And then he went out. And that's kind of the end of end of the story, the end of the interaction with Jesus and Pilate. But it comes at the end of the book of John where you just see this picture of, you know, continuously Jesus is speaking truth. He is the truth. And he's standing in front of someone who can condemn him to death or to life. And the question is asked, what is truth? It's the, it's the man standing right in front of him. And so as we um, close here, I, I just want to end in prayer and and. And this, this bigger thought of conforming ourselves to what is true is, is, to me, so important, so powerful, that truth is truth. And we as believers, we as Christians, we as human beings created by God have to conform ourselves to him, to the truth, to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you haven't left us alone in this world. You've given to us what is true, that we can know truth, that truth isn't just 
anything we want to believe, but it is you, yourself, who is true. And we can conform ourselves to you. We can glorify you when we conform ourselves to you and to truth, to what is right in this world. And so, Father, we leave here knowing um, what is true, that you are truth, that, that anything that is not of you is, in fact, false. And God, we thank you that you've shown us yourself, you've shown us truth, that we can know who you are, that we can know who we are, that we can become sinless and full of life when we conform ourselves to you. So Father, we, we are joyous. We, we love you so much, God. We honor you with our life. We conform ourselves to you. And everybody said, amen. All right, everyone, if you would listen very carefully, church doesn't start until 1130 now which is sweet because uh, there's like some more food back there and some more coffee and you can hang out and chit-chat. And so leave here slowly. Make sure you meet a couple peeps on your way out and rock on, please. Peace out.